We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. In there, we started exploring how, what is the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15 right? Uh, we, how we know that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, arose according to the scriptures, appeared to so and so and so and so and so. So the gospel is Christ crucified and of course his resurrection and ascension as a consequence of his crucifixion. Yeah. All right? It was not his living that paid for our justification. It was his dying. And his resurrection consequentially activated the New Testament over our lives. Does that make sense? So that's the gospel. Paul says we preach Christ and him crucified. He says, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So the gospel is Christ and him crucified. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Galatians 2.20, yet not us, but he that lives in us and the life we live in the flesh. We live by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The gospel is Christ and him crucified. There's no other gospel. But Jesus preached the gospel. What gospel was Jesus preaching if he had not yet been crucified? Abraham heard the gospel. We saw that. Galatians 3 and verse 8. How did he hear the gospel? The rich man of Lazarus heard the gospel. Noah heard the gospel. Noah preached the gospel. The Bible calls him a prophet of righteousness. So we see all that in scripture. What gospel were they preaching? If the gospel is Christ and him crucified and he had not yet been crucified, what gospel was he preaching? What gospel did they hear? And then we start to explore that they heard the gospel in its promissory sense because Genesis to Malachi all contain types and shadows of what was to come. So you'll hear where he says, and Abraham believed God and he was credited to him for righteousness. He got righteousness on credit. It was as good as done because he that gave it to him was he that was going to pay for it. Yes. If I write you a check and you know that my name is Dangote and I write you a check for 12 million naira, you will not think twice that the check will not go through. Yes. So at that point, you can confidently call your family and say, I am 12 million naira richer. Yes. Does that make sense? Especially when on the flip side of the check leaf, they write, the bearer is known to me, please pay with or without ID. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It was credited to him for righteousness. So he believed. Just what Jesus tells them. Your father Abraham. He never called Abraham his father. Said your father Abraham longs to see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw the day that John will say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he kid into it. He believed. Noah believed and was baptized. And that baptism became an antitype of what was to come. Moses saw it and believed and led all of Israel into baptism, the Red Sea. It's in your Bible. It's called a type of baptism. So the gospel had always been there. Types and shadows, Colossians says, but now the reality is Christ, chapter 2. So they heard the gospel. They heard that the Messiah is coming. Some of them did not believe because they thought the Messiah would come and lead them in war and give them a physical kingdom. When he said to them that the kingdom of God, as I speak to you in Luke, is within you, they got disappointed. Because they expected a physical kingdom. 
So they, got, they heard the gospel in its promissory sense. They heard it in, ad, in advanced mode. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's how they heard the gospel. It was credited to them. And they believed. That's how Abraham saw the day of Christ and believed. That's why when the price was paid, graves busted open, and all the guys that believed in advance were set free. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the, those in the present and those that were to come that were saved. Those who were saved before, who believed, also got it that day. Does that make sense? So they heard the gospel in its promissory sense. We hear the gospel in its reality, in its manifested sense. First John 1 John 1.1, the things we write to you about the word of life, whom we have touched with our own hands, whom our eyes have seen, whom we have tasted, encountered it. So when they're writing, they're not writing what is to come, they're writing what was and what is. Do you understand? So you preach the gospel in its promissory sense. We define the gospel, we define the elements of the gospel, right? the reconciliation of God to God and his kingdom, the um, domination of earth for his kingdom, and then the colonization of the earth as his kingdom, uh, all accessed through the finished work of Christ that brings us into the realities of the kingdom. And then we made a very powerful statement that the end result of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom. We then took time to begin to explain and explore what gospel they heard. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah? We explored what gospel Lot heard, what gospel Noah heard, what gospel Abraham heard, how they went through all of that, what the gospel meant to them, how it was preached to them, how when God tells Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, he was referring to Christ, because Christ is the seed of God, according to Galatians, not as in many, Paul says, but sperma as in one, and that seed is Christ. So when he says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you have been extended or plugged into the blessing that was yours, and that's why we can sing, Abraham's blessing is mine. Abraham's blessing was singular, not plural. So you can't sing Abraham's blessings are mine. It's blessing. And that blessing is Christ. And in him, the blessing, you have every spiritual blessing. Do you get it? You sure? So we explored all of that, what the gospel they heard was and how it all interconnects. And then we got into exploring the message of the gospel. What does the gospel message contain? And then we broke that up, we're breaking that up into the scope of the message. What is the scope of the message? One, the scope of the message of the gospel is the plan of God for man, right? And then two, the fall of man, yeah? And then that as well we explored. And then three, the penalty for the fall, and then the redemptive plan of God in Christ, and then the purpose of that plan. And, and, and that's, that's a five. So we're now, we've gone through the plan of God for man. And we talked about how God created man in his own image and after his likeness. And we established from scriptures how the image of God is Christ. Hebrews 1, 3, Colossians 1. It's, it's, it's very clear that he's the image of God, um, the Godhead bodily. Um, and then Colossians also says that he's the, in, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when God says in Genesis, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness the blueprint for creating man was christ so god created man for him to be christ not just like christ so christ likeness is the entry point for our sonship our sonship culminates in christness 
Do you understand? We start off at Christ's likeness. The destination being Christness. Until we are Christ, we're not back yet to where he ordained us as his image. So it's not blasphemy for you to know that your journey is to become Christ. In fact, it's absence of purpose if you don't know. And that's how we spend time doing petty things on the earth. Running around and being stupid. Because we don't know whose we are. And like Miles Monroe says, of blessed memory, as they say, where purpose is not known. Abuse. Not people that will abuse you. It's you that will abuse yourself. You know, most times we always abdicate responsibility. They abused me. No, you will abuse yourself because you will shortchange yourself. So every believer must know that the destination... I am Christ-like on a journey to becoming Christ. It's not good enough to be Christ-like. That's not the plan of God. The room is silent. The, the, the plan is Christness. <laughs> there is no difference. I said this last week. I'll say over and over and over and over and over and over. Christ was the begotten son. We are the adopted sons. God looks at us. There's no difference. No difference. There's no difference. There's no distinguishing. This is the begotten and this is the non-begotten. No. No. So the scope of the message, God's plan. So when he created man, he, the image of God in which he created us was Christ. God created us Christ. Right? Two, we fell. We fell from that image. We introduced some phenomena in the earth and we took away some phenomena from the earth. We took away the phenomenon of us that was natural to us, which is called righteousness. And we introduced the phenomenon to, uh, into the world that was alien to us called sin. Remember that? So we, we killed one nature and then introduced another. And that nature came with consequence. Sin gives birth to death. Make sense? So James says that desire, when it fully grown, gives birth to sin. And sin, well nurtured, gives birth to death. Hence, the wages of sin is death. Hence, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Death is not a punishment for sin. Death is the consequence of yes. sin. God is still not killing anybody. Are people dying? Are wicked people dying? Oh, yes. But don't confuse punishment for sin with consequence of sin. Death is the natural consequence of sin. When death is dealt with at the end, all those consequences merged together are now judged. And after it is judged by death, death itself is judged. If you read Revelation. <laughs> Even death, after death has finished his ministry, death itself will now be judged. Along with hell, death and Hades will be judged cast into the lake of fire. And that lake of fire will now pass with the current earth and heaven away. It's not eternal. Eternal life is perfect. It's not that we will be in heaven chilling and then they will be in, heaven, in hell burning. That's not scripture. Go and check your Bible. It's not scripture. 
What, what, brought, what brought me here now? I should continue. Can you handle this? I can see some of your faces. <laughs> Will people be, be lost, perhaps, of your own disobedience and inability to receive the gospel? How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? But see, at the end of the day, all things are reconciled to God. At the end. All things. At the end. At the end, there will be no imperfect side to his perfection. At the end. No. That's not something some of you can handle now. Just be loving Jesus. <laughs> just be loving If it troubles you, just pretend you didn't hear it. When you get home, just pray to the Holy Spirit to unpack it if you can't forget it. But it's not eternal. It will be an indictment and an aberration to the nature of God. For it to continue to be there for eternity. It is judged. Consequence of sin is judged. All the consequences put together are judged. What the tool that was used to judge it is judged. What it was put into is judged and removed. And all reconciles to God. It has to go back to Eden. It has to go back to Eden. That is, that is the whole redemption plan. That is the redemption plan. So man falls, righteousness is lost, sin is introduced, death comes by sin, and every other vice comes by that death. Sickness, everything else is the presence of sin, right? And then that kicks in the redemptive plan of God in Christ. We, get to, we got to explore how the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a setup. Yeah? Was a setup. Was a setup because something had to trigger the cross. Something had to trigger the cross. Something had to trigger the cross. The price had been paid already from the foundation of the world. We saw that in Job 38, right? In the foundation laying ceremony of the world, part of what constituted that foundation laying ceremony was the killing of the lamb. Revelation 13 says, I saw him, the lamb, that was slain from the foundation of the earth. So every sin a man sins met a price paid. Yeah. We tell this prayer after me. Father, I come to you a sinner. Forgive me my sins. Stop insulting God. Stop it. Stop insulting. Forgive you your sins. No, your sins are forgiven. John screamed, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't cover. Kippur in the Hebrew, cover. He didn't cover. Old Testament covered. Leviticus 17, he covered sin. Year after year, it stank. And there was layer after layer after layer after layer after layer of sin. So as long as God could not see sin for a while, he was appeased. Sin was never removed in the Old Testament. It was just covered. Because only one sacrifice could take it away. Yes. And whoever in the Old Testament believed in the coming of the sacrifice yes. began to be treated as though their sins had been removed. Yes. While the sins of others were still being covered, David comes and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgiveth 
my, all my iniquities. David did not believe, subscribe, give a damn about covering sins. No, his revelation of God was superior to that. David comes and says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David comes and says, as far as the east is from the west, so have you removed my transgressions from me, not covered. He didn't care about your covering. That's why he didn't care about your tabernacle, holy place, most holy place, outer court. David strips the whole thing away. Puts one altar in the middle and says, everybody come, Jew and Gentile. That was Christ right there in the middle of that tent. Stripped the veil. David. David was the one that removed outer court, inner court. Solomon was the one that came and brought it back. And Jesus promised it would be destroyed and not one stone would be left on top of another. Till today, they have not built the temple back. <laughs> you are now going to Israel, pilgrimage, see where the holy temple stood. Temple that Jesus prophesied they would tear down. <laughs> Levitical order. No, no, it's not Levitical. There's no temple. So there's no Levitical priest anymore. So he removed all of that and he put it. He put it. Priest, so any Levite that is a Levite, come and blow trumpet. Come and come and worship this this God. Doesn't need slaves in fear. Worship in love. Come, come boldly. Come before the throne. <laughs> David was a rascal. <laughs> he understood this thing. He says, who removed? Who took? Who takes away my iniquities? Bless the Lord. It wasn't David's righteousness that made him a man after God's heart. David had none. David, David had none. No moral righteousness. No legal righteousness. How much more spiritual? David had no righteousness. Oh, but he had foresight of the cross. He heard the gospel. And, and Jesus came through David. Through David's mess. Through David's mess, Jesus came. Through David's mess. They heard the gospel. So that's the penalty for the fall. The redemptive plan of God kicks in, and then we start exploring that redemptive plan of God, right? That he was slain from the foundation of the world. We had a great time doing that. And that he was born of a woman in due time. Can we talk about that a little bit more? We started talking about that um, last week. We talked about Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. So from Isaiah 9, 6 alone, Old Testament, you can tell that Jesus is God. Yeah? Jesus is God. John 1 makes it clear. The word became flesh. Jesus could not have been born if he was there in the beginning. It couldn't have been there. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He then goes to say, all things were made by Him. Without Him, instantly you see that we're talking about a Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life. And that life is the light of men. The light shines in darkness and darkness comprehended it not. 
Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 2, now the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. Verse 3, and God said, that was Jesus. Word. He's the agent of creation. All things were made by him. Colossians says by him, through him, and for him, all things consist. So verse 3 of Genesis 1, 3, and God said, the active agent speaking of God was Christ. The word. And God, Jesus upon creation. Do you understand it? Do you understand it? He, he, he Christed on the surface of the deep. And because his life, life began to come. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And God said, let there be. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. And now the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered. So we saw Spirit of the Lord, we saw darkness, and then in verse 3, enter Christ. And God said, life, let there be light. And there was light. Parallel accounts. It, it, it starts with Christ. It, it can't be called the book of beginnings and you can't find Christ in the beginning. We miss a lot when we read scripture. Genesis means the beginning, book of beginnings. It can't be called the book of beginnings if at that beginning you can't see Christ. Oh, he is there. I just showed you. So instantly you see parallels between John 1, 1, John chapter 1, and Genesis chapter 1. So the agent, the life force of God, instantly is Christ. That's why he says, I am come, that they might have life. I have it in abundance. He's the life agent of the Godhead. So he, the plan kicks in, and he begins. So is this helping anybody? Yeah? And he begins to come. He, he's, he's God. He was there in the beginning. Without him was nothing made that was made. As I makes that clear, we read that in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right? We, said, we read Philippians 2 and verse 7, we read Galatians 4.4, 4, read Hebrews 2.14, and I took time to explain to us that God was deliberate about coming as Jesus. Yeah, God chose his mother, the mother of his earth suit. Yeah, because a spirit being does not have legal tender in the earth. Yeah, yeah. Spirit, spirit beings, that's why they're always looking for bodies to possess. Yeah, that's why demons are always fighting for bodies. That's why if you leave the body empty, it comes back with reinforcement. That does not apply to believers. Yeah, a believer is, if a believer is empty, then he's lost forever. The proof of believership is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, he sealed us for the day of redemption. First Corinthians, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4. He sealed us. The Holy Spirit is the seal. Another translation, I think NIV says he's the guarantee of our inheritance for the day of redemption. So just before, in case God, somebody can come and make God want to change his mind about you and your nonsense. God now ratifies your salvation with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So God cannot change his mind about saving you. Yes. 
He's duty bound to save you. So I was thinking the other day, I can't remember who I mentioned it to, one of the ladies I was talking to, when they were saying, you know, my covenant brother, my covenant relationship, I laugh. Because we draw this thing from David and Jonathan. In the New Testament, there's no covenant between God and man. And between man and man. There's only covenant between God and God. On behalf of man. Deal with it. No covenant between God and man. No covenant between man and man. Only a covenant between God and God that covers man. Because God tried it with man, it failed. In Exodus 16, when they were going to do the um, manna, yeah, I believe. He says, and God, is this helping anybody? Exodus 16. (laughs) They had just left Egypt, remember? Mm -hmm. Crossed the Red Sea. Oh my. Are you ready? Exodus 16, that's when manna came, right? Okay, let's go from verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Remember when we linked that to John 6? And the people shall go out and gather a certain quarter every day. Please see the reason why God sent them manna. That I may... God was giving them manna to test them to see if they can keep covenant. Because where there is no law, there's no sin. They came out as a people that had never been a nation. They had been ruled by Egyptian laws. There was nothing written, nothing orally handed down besides the stories of the patriarchs. They had nothing. So they had to, they had to be set up for the cross. Let me see if they can keep my law. Take one portion for every day, and then on Saturday, take two portions for Saturday and Sunday. Let me see if you can keep this small instruction. Did they keep it? No, because they took extra, and worms began to break out of the excess food, and they brought a plague upon themselves. So we already knew from before the law that they couldn't keep the law. Yes. Do you understand? It's not in your Bible. Yeah. They didn't keep it. And God gave it. Why? So that sin might become. (laughs) And trigger the price that had already been paid. Trigger the price that had already been paid. So he, he, what am I doing for time? I'm good, actually. So he set the whole thing up. And it comes in flesh. God coming in flesh. God, what is man that thou mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou made him a little lower than the angels, lower than Elohim himself. Referring to who? Christ. Christ. We we showed you that, right? Scripture. Christ. He came in human form. Because spirits cannot operate in the earth. So he came as man. And man fell. So man had to write the fall. Right? A spirit cannot come and do what a man did. A man had to do it. 
Christ had to, Jesus had to fulfill the law as a man. It would have not been a fair game if he fulfilled it as God. He fulfilled the law how? As a man. He lived the law in his fullness, fulfilled it, and then handed over credit to us. So in the new, in the new covenant, it's not a covenant between God and man. We didn't, we didn't do a good job. That's why when God was going to cut the covenant with Abraham from which Christ came, did you see any way of Abraham's involvement? He puts Adam to sleep to bring about the woman. He puts Abraham to sleep to bring about the seed of the woman that he prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. He puts Adam to sleep to bring out the woman. He puts Abraham to sleep to bring out the seed of the woman. Who will bruise the head of the serpent. So in the New Testament, there's no covenant between man and God. God puts Abraham to sleep, passes through the censer, passes through the sacrifice, and swears by himself. Yeah? God looked for somebody to swear by, I couldn't find. That's why I taught my people, we don't sing, I climbed up to the highest mountain, looked all around, I couldn't find nobody. No, no. It's not us that searched and found, it's him that searched. It's, here we sing, you searched all over. You couldn't find nobody. You looked high and low. Because scripture says, God, seen as he, could find none greater than himself. Who are we, small us, to say we have searched eternity to find that there's none greater than God? You, in your small life. <laughs> so when we sing, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. You have searched through all eternity long and you found there is none. Like me, search through all eternity long. From where now? No, we sing some nonsense songs. We just be singing, who? I have searched through eternity long. And I find there is none. No, 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 you can't search. Don't come and tell us about your Babalao testimony. You went to this shrine. It didn't work. You went to this shrine. That's what influences those things. You went to this doctor. It didn't work. You went to this pastor. It didn't work. And I say you searched. No, no, no. It's never been hidden. It's his testimony we're going with, not yours. He searched. He couldn't find. He now came back to Abraham. Abraham was sleeping. What part did he play in the covenant? Uh. He was sleeping. Put him to sleep. What part did he play? It happened. The guy was crashing. Same thing with Adam. What part did Adam play in creating Eve? Sleep. Abraham is sleeping. And God comes, goes between, finds somebody that is greater than him. Because God is ensuring that this covenant I'm about to cut cannot be broken even by me. So he looks around. He couldn't find anybody. He then came and told the sleeping Abraham, me, God, I swear to God. Me, 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 I swear to God that by two immutable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, what are those two things? His word and his oath. I've taught you guys in this house. His word and his oath. His word saying, I will do this, and his oath guaranteeing and ratifying what he has said he will do. Two things. 
So if God, I've I, I said it before, and some people thought, ah, what blasphemy. I, I dare God to lie. He can't. He can't lie. You, he can't. It is impossible for him to lie. On two accounts, his word and his oath ratifying his word. Your certificate is useless without the authenticating seal. It is the seal that ratifies your certificate or your license. So he gives his word, think of it as your certificate, and he ratifies it with his oath. That means you can take this word to the bank. This check cannot bounce. What part did he play? Father, I cut a covenant with you, except you are dying and pouring your blood out. Because first of all, there is a blood shedding in the covenant. And unfortunately, your physical blood is not good enough. <laughs> it's not good enough. So it's, it's his covenant with him on our behalf. Then he wakes you up from sleep himself. Just like by his Holy Spirit, he wakes you up from sin. Yourself. And you wake up from sleep and realize that you now carry the blessing, Abraham. You wake up from sin right now and realize you now carry Christ. You were dead in sin. You were asleep. While you were sleeping, he did the covenant with your name on it. Holy Spirit comes and convicts you, wakes you up from sleep. And you wake up and realize you're not the person who was sleeping. You now carry the blessing. You had nothing to do with it. Not by any works of righteousness that we have done, but of his own grace, he saved us. Nothing to do with us. So he orchestrated his burning. He's been born. <laughs> so that he might die. Do you understand? Crucified, laid behind a stone. You lived to die. That's the crucial part. So he lived. He was born of a woman in due time. He lived under and he fulfilled the law. We explained that he fulfilled the law as a man, fulfilled the law as a sacrifice, and fulfilled the law as a priest. And even as a sacrifice, we explained the twofold nature yes. of the sacrifice. Please get the recording. It's free. I mean, what else do you want? All it will cost you is either your flash drive or your data. Right? It's free. This is meat that you, your entire salvation is built on. Do you understand? Knowing who you are in Christ as a believer. There's no other investment you can make in your life than understanding the gospel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's learned men in this room. There's people with PhDs. and, and There's no other investment you can make than understanding this gospel. None. It changes your life. It starts your life. No, no investment. I'm a prayer expert. I'm, a, I'm called to deliverance ministry. You lie. You lie. First of all, there's no deliverance ministry. Two, there's only one ministry all of us are called to. It's one calling. So he fulfilled the law as a man because he lived under it blamelessly. 
right? Blamelessly. Jesus couldn't be faulted as a man, right? As a sacrifice, we explain the role that Judas had to play in ensuring that the sacrifice was blameless and rendered innocent, right? We that parallel with the Leviticus account of how they inspected the lamb. Yeah, we saw that in, in Exodus as well, how they inspected the lamb at Passover, Exodus 14, to make it very sure over four days that it was worthy of being presented. Isn't it interesting how, I mean, if the goat was being offered for sin, shouldn't we just choose the worst goat and let it go and die? Why did we need the blameless goat or lamb? <laughs> to carry sins of people that were guilty. Jesus passed the test. It was both the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat. Both. He carried the sins and he died to pay the price for it. So we call him our two-in-one, one-off sacrifice. According to Leviticus. And then as a high priest, he also fulfilled it. Because he was a high priest of a different order. According to Leviticus, man, Leviticus 16, the priest Aaron has to offer a bull for himself and his family in order to offer a goat for all of Israel. Can you see how crucial it was? He had to, to atone for his own sin to give him access to the most holy place. He had to offer a bull, a big male cow for just him and his family. Because when he's sanctified as priest, then he can take much less blood for the whole nation. Because God is requiring, watch this, God is requiring the atonement not of the nation, but of the priest. So the standing of the priest before God was more crucial than the standing of the nation. That's why I told you last week or the week before, it's all a blur now, that when they came and brought the goat to sacrifice, the priest at the entry of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, will examine the goat to be sure it was blameless. The priest never examined the sacrificer to see whether he was worthy to bring the goat or not. At no point was the person who was sacrificing the goat for sin. Did the goat sin? Please answer me. For every goat that was a sin offering, there was a human being that was sin. It took the sin of a man for us to have a goat to be sacrificed as a sin offering. And every time, all they ever inspected, I'm repeating this for the benefit of those of you who are not here, all they ever inspected was the goat. To be sure the goat was worthy to be sacrificed, they never inspected or examined the person sacrificing the goat. Before we accept your goat, what was your sin? What did you do? Have you made amends? Have you made restitution? Have you confessed your sins? You know, how bad was it? Because we need to increase the size of the goat. Or, I mean, you, you only slap somebody. Chicken would do. You know, no, it was a goat or a lamb, and only the goat or lamb was, in, was examined. Once it was perfect, you were covered. And so we said, because Christ, our sacrifice, is perfect, we are justified. 
It doesn't matter what I did. I mean, if under the law, it didn't matter what the sinner did, if the goat was perfect, you can't, because he's a perfect sacrifice. And they inspected him. He arrived four days before, just like they would inspect the goat four days. He arrived Jerusalem on the Sunday on the donkey. The same way that Isaac went to be slaughtered on the donkey. Isaac, a type of Christ, journeys to the same mountain on a donkey. Jesus journeys into Jerusalem to be crucified on the same mountain on a donkey. Gets in and he's working miracles. He's like, check me out. Yeah, I'm perfect. And then they come and examine him and examine him before they crucify him and they find nothing wrong with him. But there's no law to find him blameless. Because the Romans don't operate by Jewish law. So if the Romans said a Jewish person was blameless as a sacrifice, he didn't hold any water. A Jewish priest had to say this thing was blameless. And then we now see the setup of Judas. Please, Judas means praise. It's the Greco-Roman pronunciation of the word Judah. It means praise. It's the word Judah. Judas. I know you don't name your son Judas. I understand. <laughs> okay, I understand. But... But Judas means praise. So he comes and, and then we realize that, oh, Jesus had 12 disciples. 11 of them were Galileans. And one of them was Judean. He was of the habitation of a remnant of priests. Judas, Iscariot of Zerioth. Iscariot from Zerioth where priests stood and fed Jerusalem, ministered to Jerusalem. He comes and he's, he says, no, this sacrifice is, is innocent. And heaven was like, you have been waiting for a Jew who has a priestly blood to examine this sacrifice. And now that he has said it's innocent, go and kill it. Judas was a necessary element of the crucifixion. It was working in purpose. They went and killed him. And as high priest, Jesus fulfilled the law because he was sanctified enough to provide and offer the sacrifice. In order to do that, he introduced a brand new priesthood of the order of Melchizedek, not copying Melchizedek, but as was typified of Melchizedek. Understand it? Do you understand? Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Yeah? King of Salem, which means peace, and also which means righteousness. So Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace, king of righteousness, could not have been a man. He, He had no address, had no genealogy, had no starting, had no dying. And when Abraham came back from the spoil, he says, Melchizedek met him. The way it was not you that went to find God. God drew you. Dragged you to Christ. Melchizedek met Abraham. Happened to Abraham. The way Christ happened to you. So Melchizedek was a type and shadow of Christ. So Christ comes and he introduces a brand new priesthood. Brand new 
priesthood. Hebrews 5. Because you know by the old priesthood, <laughs> we need some, a few bulls, won't we? Yes. Ah, man. Hebrews 5. Verse 5 to 6. Are we there? I have to be quick. So also, are we good? So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he, God, who said to him, Christ, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And God, that's he there, also says in another place, you, Christ, are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Are we there? Yeah. Where do I go from? <laughs> okay, let's read. You're up for a little read? Okay. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Who, who did what to Abraham? <laughs> Returning from the slaughter of kings and did what to him? To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor... Are you still doubting who it is? It was Christ. Because you see, believers don't understand that before Jesus, there was Christ. There was the Son of God. Oh, not in bodily form, of course. Who appeared to Joshua? And says, as captain of the Lord's host have I come. Who? It was Christ. Christ did not come about after Jesus died. Jesus returned to being Christ after he died. Do you understand? Christ came as Jesus. The word that was in the beginning was not Jesus. Jesus was not in the beginning. Jesus was born 2,000 odd years ago. But the Christ that came and inhabited the bodily form of Jesus has been there from the beginning. Appearing in that spirit form to men all along. No angel is worthy of worship. No angel. I don't want to go into these things. In, in, in the Old Testament, you see two things. Angel means messenger. You see an angel of the Lord. And you see the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was Christ. He never refused worship. Samson's father, Mano, worshipped him. And he brought a sacrifice and sacrificed to him. It was Christ. He appeared to Joshua. Joshua fell flat on his face and worshipped him. It was Christ. When a mere angel appeared to a man and the man tried to worship Revelation, John said, no. The, the angel told John, you can't worship me. I'm an angel. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the prophecy. He had appeared in scripture. Who appeared to Hagar? And she said, I have seen the one who sees me. Angel sees you. No, no. Couldn't have been angel. <laughs> it was Salem. It was Salem that appeared to her. 
having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like having appearance as the capital S, Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, not of income, not of salary, gross or net. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithe from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, please watch this. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there, he, Christ, receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Nine, even Levi, who receives tithe, paid tithes through Abraham. Eleven, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron, who was the first priest, right? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. We cannot remove the priesthood under which the law came and not remove the law that came with the priesthood. So Christ's priesthood did not come after the order of the law. The law could not accommodate a change of priesthood. So along with the old priesthood passed the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. He explains how Jesus comes from Judah. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Hebrews chapter 9. We're still in Hebrews. I know this is a lot for some people. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. I'm not spending so much on this because it's very clear in your Bible, right? <laughs> Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. So be, that is not of this creation. So he does not inhabit whatever you call the name of your church, tabernacle, temple, you know, sanctuary, the cathedral, anything made. No, no, he's not in, my dear, he's not in anything made with hands, made of this creation. That priesthood changed. Every law, all the code is gone. There's a new code. Love. Love. Twelve. Not with the blood of goats and calves, 
but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So watch this. He was a man, fulfilled the law. He was a sacrifice, fulfilled the law. And he was also the priest that presented the sacrifice that was also him. Because the old covenant could not have been able to handle a sacrifice so gargantuan. A sacrifice so phenomenal. The old covenant could not contain it. So we had to do away with that covenant, that order, and with its law. And bring a new order, new priesthood. And guess what? He was the high priest of that priesthood. He now carried his own blood. (laughs) And enters the most holy place. And says, I came to bring a sacrifice. Who is the sacrifice? Me. Who is the priest? Me. To whom is the sacrifice being offered? Me. Let me, let me, let me sound this, please. God did not pay your sin price to the devil. You know, we feel like the devil had us bound in chains. So we now legally belong to the devil. So Christ now died, now shed his blood, now carried your, his blood to hell. Now say, okay, now I've now paid you for all these people that are sinners. Give me the key. Oh yeah, let's go. Don't stop insulting God. That's the picture we have. God. Pay price to created being. Whom he created to fulfill the role that he also played. Where did Lucifer get the capacity to rebel, to think about rebelling? Who planted it there? Because otherwise God has no right to say everything he created was perfect. That's not right. So he created everything perfect and then imperfection sneaked in and God did not know. No, not just he did, he knew. He put it there for its purpose. How, where will he have found the capacity to think of rebelling? God created Lucifer with Satan in mind. What's wrong with you? God did not pay the price for you to the devil. So when he paid the price, he paid the price to... That's what the word redemption means, redeem, to buy back. So Jesus as a man, Jesus as the son of God, Jesus as the sacrifice, Jesus as the priest comes and pays God to say they fell, they lost their place. I have paid the price for them. Now they are back in their place with you. The price was paid to God. That's why it is called redemption. When a slave gets to the point where they can afford to pay for their their freedom, they pay to their master to do what? To redeem themselves. It's not paid to somebody else. It's paid to the master. So he comes and he says, okay, God. God has come home. Did you hear me? Here's the blood, though. It is my blood. How now? I had to become a man in it. 
because God, picture the conversation. How do you have blood? You remember I went down as a man, lived as a man, was perfect as a sacrifice as a man, offered myself as a sacrifice, and then now collected the blood as a priest. <laughs> and now came before you and said, okay, this is the blood. So as a high priest, he fulfilled the law because he was blameless as a priest. He did not need to atone for himself first. Hebrews 5. Yeah, let's do 5. Hebrews 5. And let's go from verse 1 for context. Okay? For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Are we there? Hebrews 5.1. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifice for what? Sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifice for sin. In other words, he's required to offer sacrifice for his own sin, as well as for the sin of the people he's about to have compassion on, to God. Make sense? Four, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So he comes and he did not need to atone for himself because he came of a totally different priesthood. Hebrews 7. Oh, man. Perfect lamb, perfect man, perfect priest, right? Right? Hebrews 7. <laughs> 23. Hebrews 7, 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Don't get too excited. Look at the next verse. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Who is what? High priest is also and is also also and has become see verse 27 who does not need daily as those other high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's for this he did once and for all when he offered up himself he was the priest he was a sacrifice for the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. He does not need to offer up sacrifice for his sin first because he knew no sin. Perfect man, perfect lamb, perfect priest. You know the beautiful thing about this gospel, and I, I'm going to round up here, is that not only did he come and introduce a priesthood by which he could pay the price, that he was the price. <laughs> he was the price, he paid the price. And he was the person he paid the price to. 
He was the sacrifice. He was the priest that paid the price and he was the God he paid the price to. It was a price. He didn't stop there. But the gospel, the good news of it extends to understand, to make you understand that he then plugs you into the same priesthood. So I am not priest over you. No man is priest over another man. Only the priest who was the sacrifice and the offering of the sacrifice is priest over men. And he, that high priest, called all of us into priesthood. First Peter 2 9. Are you? Our chosen generation? A royal priesthood. Romans, uh, Revelation 1, I believe 6 says he has made us a kingdom of kings and priests to our God. So I am a priest of the same order as Christ is. Do you know what this means? Christ is perfect, I've showed you. Yeah. yeah? He's undefiled, he's harmless, he's separate from sin, he's pure, he's perfected. And I come as a priest in that order. Which means everything that, has, that Christ has going for him, I have going for me. So I can come before the throne of God without knocking. Because I'm a priest. Christ did not just pay the price for you and stay there continuing to be between you and God. He paid the price for you and called you in to stand before God next to him. So the sacrifice of Christ doesn't just atone for you, it restores you to your rightful place before God. That's why he said earlier in chapter 4, let us therefore come boldly. Is this good news for every, anybody? I am, I don't know about you, I am a priest. Oh, not because I'm pastoring you. No, I am a priest. And you are a priest. I am not priest over you. Sorry to disappoint you. I am not your presiding priest. I can't deal. So if you traded your liberty in Christ for a priest and a prophet, you need deliverance. Knowledge deliverance. Epignosis deliverance. Because there's no demon that is troubling you. It's lack of knowledge. You shall know the truth. That's what, what did Jesus die for? He brought you into the priesthood. So you are priest, I am priest. Together we are a kingdom of kings and priests. That's why the church is called Ecclesia Legislature. We sit down together because all of us are kings and priests. We order the affairs of the earth and earth has no choice but to respond. That's the place of the church. We are all kings and priests to God. All of us, all of us, all of us. Nobody in this room is a bigger king and priest than the other. That's what Christ by his sacrifice achieved. Brought us all into the presence of God. So we have equal footing with Christ. Let me give you a food for thought. If Christ did not consider it an issue to bring you into equal standing with him, 
Why do you need a prophet to tell you that it's witchcraft for a man to put you under him? I repeat, if Christ, did you get the question? If Christ did not think it an issue to make you equal with him, we are heirs of the Father, joint heirs with the Son. Everything the Son is entitled to, I am entitled to. And Christ does not have a problem with it. There's enough of God to go around. And then a man comes and calls himself your pastor and then makes you subservient to him. Because he's a man of a God that made you equal with him. Do you understand what I just said? But you are a king and a priest. Whatever access I have to God, you have to God. When you come and say, Pastor, pray for me. No, I'm not praying for you. We are together praying. It's not like my prayer will work. Your will not work. I can pray for you all you want. If you're not in the place of believing, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to you. Oh, drop offering. Please make it fat. Amen. (laughs) We will spend it for the work of the ministry. With no no refunds. Amen. No refunds. No refunds. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. He was slain from the foundation of the earth. He was born of a woman in due time. He lived under, he fulfilled the law as a man, as a sacrifice, and as a high priest. He didn't stop there. The icing on the cake, he now plugged you into the same priesthood so that as he is. Give him praise. Come on. Give him praise. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.